dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Hey, it is National 4-H Week, and National 4-H Month is October. Um, We're starting to see a lot of uh, great stuff coming across the lines. Uh, They're The National 4-H campaign this year is hashtag opportunity for all. And I think that's a pretty uh, neat way to remind everybody that 4-H is for everyone. It's not just for the rural kids. It's for all the kids. Um, Just for the the kids that may not have cows or plows or sows. Right, Kayleen? (laughs) Yeah, my son... We had a conversation about what 4-H week was and what he should be doing, you know, when he talks to his classmates that ask about his 4-H clover on his shirt or whatever. And I told him, I'm like, tell them there's other projects. There's like rocketry and shooting sports and different science things and welding. And and I think it even kind of sparked his interest in doing other projects besides the livestock stuff that he's in and the photography and all that stuff. So I remember when I was, um, choosing projects, it was so tough on October 1, the start of the 4-H year, to really narrow down the projects that I wanted to do and explore and also manage expectations on my parents' part. (laughs) Because there were projects I took that I didn't really want to take, but I did because it made mom and dad happy. You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, I didn't have that problem because I didn't start 4-H until I was 13 and my parents weren't in 4-H and so they didn't really know what was going on. And we just picked what we wanted to do and just kind of rolled with it. And I have a little influence over, over Sean and what he gets to do just because I'm the one helping him. So, <laughs> well, in our family, um, if you were going to take something fun, like say, um, bymanship, right. Where you go and, and you can buy your outfits off the rack and learn how to be a good consumer of products um, that you of consumer products, right? Well, in our family, the rule was if you're going to do that, then you're also going to have the sewing and the crocheting projects as well, because <laughs> mom wanted us to know how to make those exact same items that we were buying off the rack. And I was horrible at sewing. Kayleen, I still am. I still cannot thread a sewing machine to save my life. And it is probably the simplest thing on the planet to do. I've broken more sewing machines than I should. And so when I was about, I want to say freshman in high school, maybe sophomore in high school, it finally came to a head in our family. And I said, no more. I don't want to take sewing anymore. I'm done. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) mom finally relented. She finally said, that's fine. Now, dad, on the other hand, he had wanted us to take the market beef project for years. And um, instead, we always had breeding beef. 
So there's a big difference. If you guys are listening to this from outside of agriculture, first off, welcome to the podcast. And secondly, market beef are animals destined for your plate. That is their end, that's their end place, right? Breeding beef are the ones that are going to go back into your herd and create more little babies. So Joni James and I, we always said, no, nope, we'd, we'd rather have build our herds. We don't want to focus on the market beef. And also, it was really, really a hard choice, Kaylee. <laughs> you know, once you get a once you get them, you know, in your heart and you kind of have time with them, you know, for a month or two, it's kind of really tough to put them on a trailer. Yeah. That's the hardest part of it. And the the ones that ones that kicked you or were kind of (laughs) hard-headed, they easily went on the trailer. You just waved goodbye and turned around and walked away. (laughs) Yep. Well, the rule on that was when I finally stopped taking the sewing project, Dad said, I want you to start taking market beef then. You're going to take a steer to the fair. And I said, okay, but you put it on the trailer. And I don't want to see that animal after the sale ring. I am not putting it on the trailer. You can't make me. <laughs> he said, okay, no problem. So here's the six foot seven cowboy, bow-legged cowboy, right? And I get done taking Buford the steer. And this thing was just an overfinished Angus. He was round, Kayleen. I had a round circular shaped steer, which is not what you're going for, right? That waddled. <laughs> he, he did waddle. He really did. He he liked the feed and I like to feed him. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to eat. <laughs> well, dad comes back from putting Buford the steer on the trailer. And he's got the halter in one hand and his red cowboy hanky snot rag in the other. And he's sniffling and wiping his eyes. And I went, not fair, old man. (laughs) (laughs) He said, honey, it hurts today, but it's a lesson that you got to remember that everything feeds something else. Yeah. That's that's what I've been trying to tell my kids. And that's what these animals purpose is, is to feed someone and, Sean had to put the goat on the truck this year and he wasn't too fond of that. He didn't like that at all. And I, I recall doing the same thing with my steer and I know there was some years where we had to load them on the truck and there was other years where you just left them tied in the, in the pin area and somebody else loaded them that wasn't attached to them, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. You know, 4-H is so much about growing and growth. And I think it's so appropriate that the symbol for 4-H is a four-leaf clover, Kayleen, because, you know, you start out as a little, little tiny seedling, right? And you eventually grow and you put all four clovers on. And that's the growth that happens in 10 or 11 years of the program. It happens even in one or two years of the program. You learn so very much. And that's why I guess High Plains Journal, we're really excited that we're going to be rolling out a circulation campaign in the coming weeks to help us um, donate money back to 4-H and benefit the growth of youth of tomorrow. So folks, be watching for um, details of that to be coming out in print and online in the coming weeks. And uh, we're really, really excited about that. And, And later on in the podcast, Kayleen, we've got some a really great interview, don't we? Yeah, we talked with Michelle Barron. She's over in the Cotwood 
Cottonwood Extension District, which includes Barton and Ellis counties, and they have some work that the 4-Hers have been doing during the pandemic, and they also this weekend on October 11th, they have a fundraiser, a drive-through barbecue fundraiser for their county. You know, I tell you what, if there was ever a program that helped youth adjust to COVID and what we were asking of them and, and just totally blowing their normal out of the water and helping them transition, helping them be flexible, I think 4-H did it. I think they knocked it out of the park this year, Kayleen, and maybe it's, maybe I'm biased, but you've seen the kids be way more flexible and, and um, resilient than the adults in the room. And I just got to applaud them. I really do. Cause it's tough for me. I'm, oh, I'm over 40 <laughs> and you're now telling me I can't do things the way I want to do them, <laughs> the way yeah. I know to do them. <laughs> And I know speaking from experience, I was disgruntled about a lot of things involving the fair and, and in the end it all worked out and it was fine. And some of the things we can take away and, and do next year and not have to deal with doing it the old way. So, Hey, um, kudos to them. So if you're uh, listening and you're interested in 4-H, remember you can always go to 4-H.org and learn more about how you and your family can join. So how are you folks doing out there? You can always drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know or call us at 1-800-452-7171. Hey folks, do us a favor and head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Leave us a review. We'd sure appreciate it. This week's episode will bring you the stories you might have missed in the October 5th print edition. And I'll bring the latest on the gray markets and we'll have some final thoughts. Alta Seeds brings you this week's episode. Alta debuted its new iGrowth sorghum line to the U.S. market in the first ever Sorghum Frontiers Virtual Field Day. iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's now commercially available in the U.S. market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to register for the second Sorghum Frontiers Virtual Field Day, which will be November 5th, to further showcase iGrowth at hpj.com slash sorghum frontiers. Learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. Well, hey folks, if you're out there cutting Milo or picking corn, remember to be safe. And thanks for riding with us here on HPJ Talk. This week's cover story is by Dave Bergmeier, Challenge Met, Problem Solver Finds Solution in a Practical Way. A near disaster on the farm sparked a young innovator from Mayetta, Kansas to seek an improved design for a hitch pin. Two years ago, Blake Chance recalled how a bearing went out on a round baler, and a mechanic said that the family was fortunate that the baler did not burn up. Quote, I started thinking if it did burn up, how would I have gotten it unhooked from the tractor? because I know sometimes the pressure on the hitch is too much and does not allow you to pull it out, end quote. Chance said that a lot of guys he sees on Facebook put their pins in upside down, and he said he just thought there had to be a different way. This is kind of revolutionary, right, Kayleen? Yeah, it sounds like he really 
got the best from a bad situation, a potentially bad situation and, and found a way to make something good out of it. Good for him. Lacey Newland had a story on the inside. Ethanol partners call on EPA and the White House to right wrongs with the renewable fuel standards. On September 14th, the ethanol industry celebrated a welcome, a bit predictable victory when the Environmental Protection Agency denied 54 small refinery exemption petitions and committed to rejecting at least 14 more pending petitions. According to Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, these were so-called retroactive gap year petitions that had been filed by small refiners who were attempting to circumvent the 10th Circuit Court decision by going back in time and claiming they had a hardship years ago and should have had an exemption from their compliance obligations as far, far back as 2011. Quote, really the whole purpose of them trying to secure these gap year exemption was so that they would be able to claim that they now meet the conditions of the 10th Circuit decision and should remain eligible for more waivers going forward, Cooper said. And fortunately, the Trump administration has recognized the irrationality of these petitions and rejected them outright. Cooper wanted to underscore just how big of a deal that really is. The 68 petitions that were being denied represent roughly 2.8 billion gallons of renewable fuel blending requirements for the past years, and rejecting those petitions means that those blending requirements will be preserved. Good on them, Kayleen. Good for them. Yeah. Well, hey, on the opinions and editorials page, editor Dave Bergmeier has the column this week, Times Are Trying, Opportunity Still Abounds. And a letter to the editor comes from Walt Moore, president of the American Dairy Coalition, titled Consumers Approval of Farming and Agriculture Tops Gallup List. Dave also has a book review on that page, A Look at Wild Horses Through the Lens of a Fan. Jennifer Thur has a story from Cattle U, Quality Forages Strengthen the Herd. She's listened to Rebecca Kern's uh, session, who she's a professional animal scientist with Ward Labs, and she spoke with the attendees at the recent Cattle U about the importance of analyzing forages, taking proper forage samples, and using forage reports for the benefit of the herd. Kayleen, you had a couple of stories in this issue. Sign up underway for CFAP2 program, administrator says. Uh, remember, for this piece, she spoke with Richard Fordyce, who was on the podcast September 21st. She also has a story from Cattle U as well. Lots to learn about mid-feeding period morbidity, featuring Dr. Miles Thur. And we have Kayleen's great photos from the Kansas Professional Rodeo Association uh, finals that were held recently in Dodge City. And folks, you want to go see those because Kayleen's an amazing photographer. I don't know about that, but <laughs> Jenny has a common ground call on this week titled, You Thought Those Were Just Ribbons. Obviously, are you talking about 4-H or what are you talking about? <laughs> I am talking about 4-H, Kayleen. If you haven't heard, if you haven't figured it out, folks, I am a strong, tried and true 4-H'er. And I got to tell you, the more I, the older I get, the more I realize the lessons that the, all those boring activities were really instilling in me. And I talk uh, about how it's not just the competition. I am as competitive as the next one. Kayleen knows I like shiny objects. I like ribbons. I like rosettes. I like having my name on things. It's kind of what I do. However, 4-H isn't just about the competition, the banners, the ribbons. It's, it's not, you can't Instagram this, the lessons that you learn 
about operating a, a, a meeting and making sure everybody's voices are heard or community service to your fellow man. Um, there is no way to, to zhuzh it up and, and give a ribbon for something like that. But boy, how do those skills take you from the 4-H meeting to the boardroom to the halls of Congress? And uh, folks, if you, if you aren't part of the program, you're really missing out. Yeah, I agree. And I've been sharing some of my, my 4-H memories on Facebook. And one of the ones I shared was a photo of our livestock judging team at the 1995 Kansas State Fair. And that's back when you actually got a judge at the state fair. They didn't have a separate contest. And I was the alternate that year. The year before we had placed third at the state fair and we got to go to judge at Kansas City and we placed good at Kansas City. And they decided, you know, that there's other kids that wanted to judge and they're going to have to earn a spot on the team. And those that were on the, the third place team just didn't get guaranteed a spot. So we had to, to compete for it essentially. And our coach kept track of, of who did what at the contest. And I had to sit in the stands at the state fair the following year. And that was probably one of the hardest points in my life, you know, at that age of what, seven, 16, 17 years old. And it sucked. <laughs> I hated sitting in the stands and I had to sit in the stands because consequently that team won the state fair and we got to go to Louisville. And I had to sit in, in the stands at Louisville because those four kids got a judge because they won the state fair and I was still the alternate. So it was definitely a learning experience and one that I wouldn't trade for anything. I mean, sure. I'd want to judge on the floor at the state fair, but I had to swallow my pride, swallow my ego and learn from the situation and, and try to improve in a competition that I really like to do. You know, the best lessons come from the white ribbons. They do. <laughs> they do. You know, everybody looks at that as, oh, you were such a failure. Oh, what was that judge thinking? That just broke that little kid's heart. Look, I've been a judge before. And the hardest thing for me to do is to give a white or a red ribbon. Because I know there was a little kid on the other end of that that did try their hardest. That sometimes... Sometimes it's the kick in the pants that they get to try harder next year. Cause that, those were the kick in the pants for me to try harder next year. Yeah, I agree. So folks, that's why, that's why we believe in the program. That's why we donate our time. And that's why Kayleen's a mom in the program now. <laughs> hey, I'm just a very fun aunt who is a big old <laughs> cheerleader in the stands for my, my littles. Well, we also have a special section in this issue, uh, Ag Solutions, with special messages from some of our advertising partners. So don't forget to check that out, folks, because we have some really great, um, interesting new products and services there for you to look at. And you can read more on the variety of ag issues facing farmers and ranchers in the Print High Plains Journal, or look for it online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, if you've got a response to something you've read or you've heard here, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We really want to hear from you.
folks, this is Jenny and Kayleen, and we are speaking today with Michelle Barron, who is the 4-H Youth Development Agent for Cottonwood Extension District in Kansas, and you're based out of Barton County, Kansas. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Um, How's everything? Going good. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on with you this morning. Great. Well, Michelle, let's talk about your district. Tell us about the district and the communities it serves, and, you know, we saw a lot of COVID hitting Kansas districts and, and areas particularly. So maybe talk about how COVID um, hit your, your communities too. Absolutely. Um, the Cottonwood Extension District is a fairly new district in Kansas, been in existence about three, four years, um, and serves Barton and Ellis County. So large communities in Barton County, Great Bend, of course, um, then with the smaller rural communities of Ellenwood, Claflin, and Hoisington. Um, Ellis County has Hayes and then um, Victoria, Ellis, and the rural areas around there. Um, Both counties at different times did have some definite spikes in COVID, um, definitely made a difference in how we approached a lot of our activities and events this year. Um, Our Barton County Fair is one of the earliest in the state, and so we were having to really make plans and make decisions on how we were going to move forward. Um, the end of April, which sounds really early, and we had people question why that that soon, but there's a lot of things that have to happen behind the scenes. Um, one of the things that we did was to move um, what we would call our static exhibits, all the inside stuff, foods, photography, woodworking, all of that, to a platform called Flipgrid. It's a program used by um, school teachers um, where they can record a video then the kids have an opportunity to showcase their project in a short little video and everything else and get some feedback on that. Um, There's a lot that has to be built in order for that to happen, but it was a fun new platform. I'll be honest, I probably wouldn't have learned that if I hadn't had to this year. So that was the case for a lot of us in a lot of different program areas. Um, We did move our fair or the livestock show at the fair, excuse me. We did do those live but there were a lot of changes to that. It was one species in the building at a time. They came in, they showed, they went home. Um, If they were in the building, they had to have a mask on. Um, So it's a little bit weird. We did, they took their masks off as they went into the ring. Um, We had direction from Department of Ag and everybody else that that was, that incidental contact was gonna be pretty short, Um, but still made for a lot of changes with all of the things that we do. And it made it kind of tough on everybody, but we had a lot of folks that just, they stepped up to the plate and they were willing to do what we needed to do in order to have some kind of project showcase um, for our 4-Hers at the fair. So, Flipbook. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about exactly what that entails, because I can't really imagine, um, I, we're, we're used to, you know, being able to go in and flop the project on the table and say, hey, this is the craft project I did. How do you do it virtually and, and with that format? It was, um, it was fun and challenging all at the same time. Flipgrid is a platform that was, is really used by teachers um, so that they can set up um, social studies, third hour, and these are the activities and the things we're going to do within that. So what we were able to do is we matched up Flipgrid classes to match our fair book so that people knew, okay, I need to go to the foods and nutrition Flipgrid And then within that, I find my class, which is my fair class. So we tried to streamline it as much as possible. Again, wasn't perfect by any means, but it worked okay. Um, But then the kids had about three to four minutes 
to show their project. And we really gave them some instructions to get it up here in the camera to really talk about what you had made. Um, if it was a sewing project, a crochet knitting project, really get up there and show the seams, show all of those pieces so that a judge could really evaluate it as close as possible. In retrospect, might I consider doing that and then still having them bring the items in for judging probably. But it did allow us to have some judges. Um, our judges all judged from their own living rooms. They didn't have to travel. So we saved some expenses there. Um, I'll be honest, I was able to secure a photography judge this year that I've always wanted to judge photography, but because of distance, it's not been feasible for us to be able to do. And so there were some good things that came out of the weird. Um, so we just work through it and make the best of those. But yeah, it's, it is a different process, but it's really, it's, I mean, it's designed for grade school kids to use. So honestly, the adults had more trouble with it than the kids did. Um, they figured out how to use it, how to work through it, how to edit everything else. So we could, it was different, but we made it work. Yeah. And in our County, they, they didn't have the consultative judging. They brought the, the exhibits in and flopped them on the table, you know, and they actually started using the fair entry system, which alleviated having to fill out all the cards and do all that and hold up the line. And, but I think they, they did miss out on the consultative judging, like, like they would have for something um, that you guys did. Right. That was the nice thing is Flipgrid allowed the judge to actually do a, to provide written feedback, just like always, but then to do a little video clip back that says, Hey, Kayleen, thanks for bringing your project in. I really appreciated these couple of things you told me that you learned in your, in your video. And so that was kind of, a, it isn't real time interactive, but it still gave them some interaction some feel for that. And that information only went back to the family. That was not public anywhere um, or anything like that. I can imagine some kids expanded on some, some talents and some hidden, you know, Sean, Kayleen's boy, he's a talker. He's a bit of a talker. I've got a <laughs> nephew who is a big old talker. And um, I can imagine being able to talk to a screen. Those, those kids might've blossomed a little bit more. Maybe it, it, it opened up some, some avenues for them in communication versus sometimes being in person with an adult that you don't know after you've been told, don't speak to strangers. That, that can be a bit challenging for our seven and nine and 10 year olds. And 13 and 14 year olds. Um, I would also say that it, it gave them to the chance to, if something really sounded silly, they could re-record. And so it wasn't just that one shot out there and, oh, that was not what I meant to say. You got a chance to fix that. Um, it also made the kids be a little more independent. Um, we were okay with, you know, a, a parent, a older sibling, something like that, asking a leading question for the kids in those videos. But really it was designed for the kids to talk um, and not have mom or dad or or grandma or somebody maybe help a little more than they should have um, in, in that consultative judging process. And it's easy for all of us to do. We just want them to do good. So it's easy as parents to maybe help more than we need to sometimes because they'll be fine and that's how they learn. It, it certainly is. I tell you what, it sounds like the youth in your county really rose to the challenge of COVID. And, and you talked a little bit um, about the, the virtual stuff that you did for the fair I know camp in, in Kansas went virtual this year. Um, you're going to have a virtual uh, 
achievement banquet at the end of, or in November, how did these kids, did the kids come to you with the ideas or was it adult driven or was it one of those magical moments of, Hey, let's just all work together. It's a little of both. Um, you know, at, with our fair, our ambassadors, our 4-H ambassadors, we have a good crew of um, eight kids that get involved and get to help do some of the kind of social media, do some radio interviews, those kind of things. Um, unfortunately, none of them could be here today because of being in school, uh, which they were a little bummed about. But I kicked out an idea to them. They always do a youth rally the first night of the county fair. You know, all kinds of fun activities and games and just get everybody hyped up for the fair. And I kicked an idea out and said, I'm going to challenge you to figure out how to do this virtually. Here's kind of a framework of a script. Here's what my harebrained idea is. Run with it. And they did. Um, you can actually see it on our BartonCountyFair.com um, website uh, under 4-H. And they did an awesome job of putting some video clips together. Each one of the kids separated in their own homes, took a little piece of the fair and did a little introduction, did a little hype about it. And then one of our kids who has some incredible videography skills pulled all of those pieces together and then was able to provide that in a video. So those kind of things are really cool. And that gives them some leadership opportunities that I couldn't do otherwise. So that was really neat. And um, we had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to present to our um, Barton County Chamber, Barton County Commissioners in regard to National 4-H Week, which is this week. And, you know, I had three of the young ladies who are ambassadors step up and do video recordings for um, the radio station. And then three other kids who stepped in, who took time away from school um, to come in and be a part of all of that. And we've had so many compliments, both from the public and from county commissioners as to how well they did in presenting. I know those things because I know those kids, but I love it. I'm getting goosebumps as I'm sitting here talking about it. I love those moments when other people see just how impactful, how well-spoken, um, how passionate those kiddos can be about the things about 4-H. You know, Kayleen, we talk a lot, you and I talk a lot about how 4-H opened up doors for us. And um, the hashtag for this year's National 4-H Month is Opportunity for All. Um, so it sounds like uh, in, in the Cottonwood um, District, you guys are really trying to figure out opportunities for all. We sure are. Um, one of the kind of fun things, and again, this was to some of those kid-driven things, um, one of our 4-H clubs approached me, and we have a set of sewing machines here at the office that we've used for a variety of projects over the years, and said, we want to make masks before school starts for all of our fellow students. Can we come use machines? Of course, you can come use machines for those kind of things. We had about a half a dozen kids show up, three or four parents, um, now, one of the parents, in all fairness, had taken the time to cut out all of the patterns for the masks, um, but I had half a dozen kids on sewing machines around the room, a couple of them pinning and ironing, and we really kind of helped them set the room up and turned them loose. That was their deal, but they made, in a couple hour period of time, made over 80 masks that they then donated to fellow students um, in the Hoisington School District, so incredible way to really look out for your, your fellow human, um, which I so appreciate. It's so crucial, especially at this time with everything else that's going on in our world. That's pretty um, awesome. Did you have these kids? I mean, you said you turned them loose. Did you have any problems? Did you have to prompt them to, you know, slow down, <laughs> do this? We don't want to destroy something. <laughs> 
No, you know, they're really careful. They were, and they had some adult supervision. They did have yeah. some parents in there who were yeah. keeping an eye on them. But no, they were very, very careful. I had one of the um, the boys that was here helping had never run the sewing machine before. <laughs> and so he got a quick tutorial in how to do that. And he was just nose to the nose to the grindstone for a couple of hours putting masks together. And it was so cool to watch um, all of those kids. Another one of the girls had never used the sewing machine before. Um, and one of my favorite pictures from that day is one of the other girls helping coach her through how to run that sewing machine. And really that's what 4-H is all about is helping one another, um, teaching and sharing skills. Um, so those were really cool things. That's pretty awesome. Now, Tell us a little bit about the the drive-through barbecue that you have coming up this weekend. We are so excited about that. Um, normally, our 4-H council hosts a barbecue the last Sunday of the county fair. Um, it is the only fundraiser they do all year. It is what provides funds for educational activities, for scholarships, for things like camp, um, the Kansas Youth Leadership Foundation, Citizenship and Action Discovery Days. So it's a big deal, and especially for a family that may have two or three kids that are interested in those activities. A scholarship goes a long way to helping um, provide additional opportunities for those youth. That just wasn't an option for me to have that many kids um, and parents in a small space preparing that meal, getting everything ready to go, um, all of those kind of things at the fair. And so we took the opportunity to move that to the Sunday of National 4-H Week. So it will be held this coming Sunday on October the 11th. And we're doing a drive-through only format. We are very fortunate that one of the parents on our 4-H barbecue committee um, is head of our fire department here. And he has helped with some other drive-through fundraising meals. So we have some skills and some experience and everything else. To tie in with all of that, we used this last Sunday um, was 48. We did our 48 hours of 4-H because of the barbecue this coming weekend. And I had 30 kids and about 25 parents show up at our old 4-H grounds there. We use them for meetings, um, our shooting sports archery group uh, practices there and everything else. Um, But they, and then they're available to rent for the public, but they just sometimes need a little extra love and attention. And so all of those people showed up to pick up brush and sticks and pull weeds and deep clean bathrooms and all of the counters twofold one it looks very nice now and two it's all cleaned up and ready for our barbecue on Sunday um but no we're hoping to have um we should have meals for 900 so I would love to see us run out of food that would be the best problem ever um but we again with some unusual tools and things like that we used a program called sign up genius that I had never heard of until about two weeks ago um, but worked pretty slick um, for allowing slots for families to sign up. Almost all of our clubs will be represented at the um, barbecue, either doing prep work on Saturday or doing serving. Because really, while we serve from 11 to 1, it means people have to be there from 8 to about 2.30. So it takes a lot of extra work, but we're excited about it. We're excited to invite the community in to be a part of things, to come and see what we're what we're up to. We were really hoping to do this more as a big showcase, um, have some project work set up, some things like that. But um, again, with COVID, it's just not an option to have people indoors on all of the things that we're doing. We'll just make it work. And But definitely looking forward to a great um, day on Sunday for the barbecue. 
so, $8 will get you a plate of either pulled pork or barbecued beef, um, coleslaw and baked beans. So you know, if you're in the area, drive by and see us. I tell you what, Kayleen, you know, Barton County's not that far away from Dodge City. So <laughs> I'm thinking we might need to just uh, load up the, the family truckster and go, right? Yeah. <laughs> Road trip. There you go. Yeah. So now, Michelle, um, one final thought, you know, um, with, with all the challenges that COVID presented to 4-H this year and your time as an extension um, youth development agent for 4-H, um, have you ever seen 4-H rise to a challenge like this and, and maybe talk about what it means to you to see kids that are blossoming in the program and, and how they just ran with stuff? Get me all choked up today, Jenny. Thanks a lot. Um, I have been a, I grew up in 4-H. Um, I was a 4-H parent when my kids were small. Um, served on our extension board years ago for, for Barton County, which is a weird role to now be in the extension role here. Because um, I had a whole other career in other things. Um, so I've always been a part of 4-H and it has always been near and dear to my heart. But watching our kids this year take on some challenges um, be willing to go, this sucks. I don't like it, but I'm going to make the best of it. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And I really feel strongly that we as the adults in the world need to be setting examples of good behavior, of how to manage our frustration, and that it's okay to say, this stinks. Um, and I wish that there was another way that we could do this, um, but we're going to be resilient and we're going to work through it and we're going to make the best of it. Um, so to see our kiddos, our 4-H youth, really step up into those roles, to be willing to, to take on Flipgrid, to take on wearing their masks if they're, you know, at a livestock show, to be willing to, to take on that ambassador video and have fun with it, to really be excited about it, does my heart good. And it's why I do what I do. It's why I get out of bed every day, is to be able to impact the families um, that are a part of this really cool organization. I have lifetime friends that I made in 4-H um, that I lived with at Clovia at the 4-H house at K-State. So if I can ever share how cool that is with somebody else, that's a part of it. So I love seeing the kids get engaged to come to those statewide events when we can get back to doing them, but to be engaged, to be involved, to really expand their horizons through 4-H um, just opens so many doors for them. And it, it's so exciting to have them um, be a part of that. We just really, I would encourage any kid, any family to take a look at 4-H. Um, is it an extra time commitment? Sure it is. But everything that has value requires some of our time and some of our commitment. And so it's a big deal to me. Um, this is a career I I chose, I didn't fall into. Um, I was really excited about as kind of an old agent, um, having a 25 year career in other things to be able to come and have that kind of an impact on people. Um, my favorite moments day in and day out are the ones where a kid will come and lean on my shoulder and just be, hey, what's going today? The letters of recommendation that I write, those kind of impactful moments that they know that I'm here as a resource for them to set an example, to hold them accountable, to help them learn life skills that are gonna be useful 
in everything they do. It's it's job skills. Can you communicate well? Can you be a leader? And a leader doesn't have to have a title. Um, it's all of those pieces that are important to me and important um, for our rural communities. Um, I might I often will say that developing the next generation of community leaders is what is crucial for our rural communities to not just survive, but to thrive. Exactly. Kayleen, you and I, we talk about that a lot, don't we? Yep, we sure do. Well, hey, Michelle, thank you so very much for what you do. And thank you for joining us on the podcast today. And folks, if you want more information about joining 4-H, Michelle, where can they go for information? They can go to kansas4h.org. And from there, you can go out and find um, connections in your counties. You could also contact your local county extension office, um, and they will be able to help find who you need to talk to and get you more information. Um, October 1st was the start date of our new 4-H year, so it's a perfect time to be checking out 4-H about those opportunities, about the 33 different project areas that you can learn throughout the year. Great. Thank you, Michelle, for joining us, and good luck this Sunday with the barbecue, and tell the kids we appreciate them uh, stepping up to the plate. Thanks. Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on September 29th, corn was down at $3.70, wheat was up at $4.46, Milo was up at $4.30, and soybeans were up at $8.98. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for our irrigation issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes October 12th with a story from Jenny Latsky. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Thanks again to Alta Seeds for sponsoring this week's episode. Alta debuted its new iGrowth sorghum line in its first ever Sorghum Frontiers virtual field day. iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's commercially available in the U.S. market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to sign up and catch the second installment of Sorghum Frontiers November 5th at www.alta.com hpj.com slash sorghum frontiers. Learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends